to the Booker Price podcast with me, Joe Hamia. And me, James Walton. And as you can hear, we're doing something a little different this week. This week, we are celebrating a coup of mine. Usually, this podcast is a haven for book lovers and, and protectors of literature. No, so, no brow higher, that's our motto. Exactly. And so I thought, what better place to have a Love Island episode? <laughs> okay. I, I have managed to convince James into watching Love Island. Yep, uh, yes, got, uh, and got permission from my wife to spend several hours watching <laughs> hot women in bikinis. Uh, but before that, uh, I'm, it's my turn to express gratitude. Uh, Amber Spyglass episode went out last week and it's been doing really well. I'm going to give a little shout out to uh, America and India, who are our top listen countries, apparently, which is amazing. And, and apparently we're big in Brunei. Yeah, we're big in Brunei as well, <laughs> yeah, which I thought. love. And um, also, I've, I've, I've kind of, I felt bad, James, about how I handled the whole Kendall Mintcake situation. Oh, yeah, Kendall Mintcake gate. I was quite mocking, wasn't I? Uh, you seem to suggest that this seemed to wonder whether it actually existed or whether it was when it went out of fashion I'm really sorry but I I'm really happy to report that um my partner listened to this and he felt the same shock and outrage as you did he actually loves hiking he loves kind of you know outdoorsy stuff so he got me some Kendall mint cake and I had some and what do you reckon it's disgusting <laughs> it actually is yeah I'm all in favor you know all in favor it's fame and it's important is... to a sex and it's taste I mean everything about it really the texture <laughs> is so bizarre it's it's kind of like I thought it was going to be well it comes in a chocolate casing and so that's, that, that's very modern that is it yeah yeah no, well, no, 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 that fancy stuff casing. when I was uh, hiking in the hills but then there was this kind of like gelled minty stuff inside and I, oh my God. I mean, I was kind of expecting something like an after eight, but it was like too much filling, you know? And then it got stuck to my teeth and it was really cloying. And I just thought if I was at my wits end as Lyra and Will are, you know, I've just like taken down the kingdom of heaven. I've just been hunted mercilessly by the church. I think if someone gave me Kendall mint cake, I would just top myself. Yeah, that that's point. the final story. <laughs> Taking on the forces, the apocalyptic forces of evil is one thing, but eating this stuff. Yeah, fair enough. I, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure when I, when I, as I say, hiked, hiked the fells, um, I don't think I had chocolate. It was just, I mean, it's just about energy, isn't it? I mean, just, it's meant to just give you energy, but uh, but but the downside of it is it tastes horrible. Yeah. So, um, no more delaying, James. I've been forcing you to watch Love Island. It's time for our Love Island book a special. Uh, it really is. And uh, without giving too much away at this stage, I'm amazed how much I've got into it. I must say, the show itself a bit, but the, yes. uh, the what we're about to do. In a the, lot. It, Be honest. Come on. You love it. I, I mean, I've watched about six or seven episodes of this series and I, I must admit I've taken a slightly lordly chin stroking interest mm. in it. So <laughs> for, for people who don't watch Love Island or don't know what it is, but I, I genuinely can't imagine that because it's sort of like Big Brother at this point. Love Island is a sort of gamified version of dating. It's a reality TV show where really good looking people go uh, and spend eight weeks in a villa in Mallorca and um, their presence in the villa depends on their ability to form couples and, and form a convincing relationship with other people. Um, and there's a £50,000 prize to be won at the end. So it's always in question whether these couples actually like each other or whether they're just, as is often said, playing a game. So it does make sense in a way, because the Booker Prize is also 50k. There's like a link. There's a link between them. Um, no, and... Um... 
as I say, almost quite sweet. Some of the some of the bits where the, the girls are talking amongst themselves mm. uh, had this like summer nights vibe. You know, they say he cuddled me all through the night. Yeah. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. They have these morning yeah, uh, debriefs about how their relationship's going. Yeah. And it, it is sort of like it's 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 like a really twisted Jane Austen novel. They're just updating each other. You know, he held my hand, he brushed my arm, he, you know, he mugged me off, he was talking to another girl. What am I to make of this? So we're going to be coupling up characters from the book around archive and seeing how they get on in our version of Love Island, which we're calling Booker Island. We, we've, we've each brought along three couples each. Uh, and Joe's going to explain her three couples first. Yeah. I'll make a few comments on them. I'll explain my three. And then Booker Island begins. So, um... My first couple yep. are Sheba Hart from Zoe Heller's Notes on a Scandal yep. and Charles Araby from Iris Murdoch's The Sea, The Sea. And my justification for this is that they are extremely delusional characters. They are deranged. Sheba famously uh, is a teacher at a school and she has an affair with one of her students. And in her eyes, this is a really romantic escape from the drudgery of her everyday sort of middle class married life. Um, and Charles Araby is a theatre director uh, who kidnaps her, the woman he sees as the love of his life and basically tries to force her yeah, <laughs> to fall back in love with him. Was, she was his first love, wasn't she? And then yeah. he sees her kind of old, you know, quite old and, and stout, I think she's described as. Yeah. Uh, and but, he's like, she's perfect. Yeah. I still love her. So so I think there's some hopes for these in the sense that she really likes being desired, Sheba, doesn't she? Yeah, she really does. And Charles Araby really likes desiring. He really does. So, okay, that's your first couple. Second? First, okay, second couple um, are Saeed from Exit West yeah. and Cecilia from Atonement. So yeah. there are obvious connections there. Both of them have had their love lives completely ruined by war. Um, but I think they do kind of align in the sense that um, Cecilia's famous line from Atonement is come back, come back to me. She's an extremely loyal, faithful, hopeful person. She believes that things can get better. You can sort of rebuild after a war. And Said, so Said's love life in Exit West is also um, broken apart by war, but it's more a case that um, Nadia refuses to acknowledge their, their home country, whereas Saeed feels that he can rebuild, but he doesn't want to let go of all the things that have come before. So I think maybe Cecilia could help heal Saeed's broken heart in a way. I foresee a couple of problems for, for Saeed on Love Island and with Cecilia. One is that um, uh, he basically, I think in the end, prefers people of his own culture, doesn't he? And he's quite religious. And he, he just made that point. And the other thing is he doesn't believe in sex before marriage, which is going to make mm. him a dodgy Love Island contestant. But Cecilia <laughs> but, is yeah. quite conservative. Uh, and your third couple? And my third couple are Marpessa from Paul Beatty's The Sellout. This is a book we'll be discussing in more detail in a, in a few weeks, but yes. uh, um, a bit about her. She, so she is a bus driver. A lot has kind of um, gone wrong in her life. Yeah, she's with a guy called, uh, I think, MC Panache. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who gave her children she maybe particularly didn't want, or a child that she maybe didn't particularly want. Um, and for the entirety of the sellout, she's kind of chatting to her ex-boyfriend, Bon Bon. Sort of, uh, he's, a, he's a farmer and she's sort of swinging around to pick up, you know, 
satsumas or or watermelon from him and talk about the good old days when they used to for most of just though joe chatting is quite a gentle word for what she for what she, <laughs> for her sort of means of dialogue because uh, um the the, the the narrator who's the, the person is bonbon who she's well, I think he certainly loves her. He says, uh, that's what I first loved about Marpessa, her unabashed inappropriateness. Yeah. So she does sort of let it, let it, let everybody have it with both barrels most of the time, doesn't yeah. she? And I think with Howard from uh, Zadie Smith's On Beauty. Imagine him with Howard from Okay. Yeah. I think Howard would be so into her. He would just absolutely, I think um, Marpessa <clears throat> would remind him of Kiki his wife when she was young. There's that bit in On Beauty where he's kind of remembering what Kiki was like when she was young and she had like a tiny waist and he misses how sort of um, passionate and uninhibited she used to be. And now he's a university professor and all the fire has gone out of his life. For, for, for poor old Howard um, is that, as, as I say, she sort of lets everybody have it with both barrels. And one of the one of the groups that she certainly does that to is white liberals. And he's the sort of Classic example yeah. of that, isn't he? So he's, he's absolutely sort of solid in his left wing ideas. He's, yeah. he's quite willing to tell the black conservative colleagues that they're wrong. Then yeah. they're, they're, they're wrong about black people because you know, he knows because he's he's this whitey liberal. So do you think Mark Marpessa would stand for that? Uh, absolutely not. <sighs> but I have a feeling that um, Howard is the bottom. Basically, <laughs> I think Howard would quite enjoy being told off by an uh, intelligent woman who's beautiful and. And the object of his kind of fantasies. Okay, there's your three. Shall I give you my three? Yeah, please do. Uh, one thing I noticed in Love Island actually is that there seem to be three types of blokes, as far as the women are concerned, which is all right. Um, sweetheart, cheeky chappy, and bad boy. Mm. For some reason, in, in Book of Books, cheeky chappies are thin on the ground. You could you could probably make a case for Howard, tiny bit of a cheeky chappy. But anyway, I've started off with the most um, sweethearting of sweethearts, which is uh, Douglas Peterson from uh, David Nichols' Us, long-listed in 2014. He absolutely devoted to his wife. And, he, 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 and I, I actually says, you know, as long as I have breath in my body, she would never lack sufficient AA batteries. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but as he also knows, uh, devotion is not always an appealing characteristic, as I know from my own experience, which actually happens quite a lot in Love Island. I think sweethearts sort of slightly get on the girl's nerves after a while, as far as I can say. Anyway, let's leave the Love Island. There's such a thing as friendship couples, yeah. certainly, yeah. Uh, so I've given him a bit of um, a challenge, actually, because uh, his um, partner is uh, is Agnes Bain from Shuggy Bain, the famous Ooh. alcoholic mother. But rather crucially, this is in the brief time when she's sober. Okay. There's one bit where she, um, actually the saddest line in the whole book, really, I think is towards the end. And it's also finished. Uh, Shuggy meets another child of an alcoholic and they're sort of looking back on their lives. And Shuggy says of his mum, my mammy had a good year once. It was lovely. And God, it is how it is a really heartbreaking line. That, but anyway, so it's it's during that good year that we that Agnes uh, comes to the island because mm-hmm. um, she went to AA not locally but in a posher part of Glasgow. It said uh, it was a fresh start. She had thought and hopefully a better class of alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she she gets the better class of alcoholic. She sorts herself she out. Knew. She becomes very sort of kind. It's stressed throughout the book that she's sort of pretty really. She's a sort of Elizabeth Taylor yes. of working class Glasgow. Yeah. And uh, she's capable of grateful thoughtfulness when sober. I think uh, the villa, the Love Island villa might be a great place to her because famously the islanders are only allowed a glass of Prosecco a day. They're not allowed to get drunk as of something like season three or four. They took away most of the alcohol uh, from that uh, show. Uh, I mean, good luck with getting Agnes to stop after one glass of Prosecco though. I think <laughs> She'd have to I go think, to the producers. Yeah, and no, then... I think that, I think uh, so. So that's, so that's one, that's one challenge. Uh, my next couple are 
Mrs. Coulter from uh, Amber Spyglass, specifically Amber Spyglass, which we discussed. Um, last week. Last week, yes, it was last week. I mean, she's beautiful as well. Um, very strikingly and importantly so. Yes. Everyone's smitten with her, including, I think I suggested, Philip Pullman. And um, me. And you. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the Metatron, who's a sort of representative of, of the, the majesty, of, yeah, the, of the voice of God, says um, to her, Corruption and envy and lust for power, cruelty and coldness. You have never from your earliest years shown a shred of compassion or sympathy or kindness without calculating how it would return to your advantage. You have tortured and killed without regret or hesitation. You are a cesspit of moral filth. Maybe Perfect a, material for Love Island. <laughs> maybe a little harsh, but I think almost exactly those same words could be applied to her partner, who I've given her, which is Henry VIII from Wolf Hall. <laughs> uh, and also, we join them in, this is Henry VIII from Wolf Hall, so again, sort of quite young and hunky. Mm. Um, but that we join them both in a quite an interesting time, because in Amber Spyglass, she has dedicated her life to the magisterium, the sort of equivalent of the Catholic Church. Yes. But in Amber Spyglass, as we discussed, because of her love for her daughter, Lyra, she is turning against it. Yes. You get, you get the thing. Henry VIII, defender of the faith, the Pope has called him. Now he wants Anne Boleyn. He's turned against Yes. So I think Church. the difference is Miss Coulter has very um, honourable reasons for wanting to take down the Catholic Church, whereas Henry VIII just kind of wants a shag, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, I suppose there is that. Um, and then uh, my final couple are... Um, and now we return to the Sweethearts Fort Stevens, I think just about. He's the least cheeky chappy in the Stevens, world. Stevens from The Remains this is, of the this Day. This is Mr. Stevens from The Remains of the Day by uh, Ishiguru, uh, the uh, Booker winner in 1989. Uh, as you know, a, a butler. Um, wouldn't be very good at one important part of Love Island, which is, ban- with his, which is Bants. Yeah. Um, there's one bit, poor fellow. He, he decides, he's got this new American boss by the, uh, by the time the book begins after the war. And he says, um, and he realises that he's expected to sort of banter. Yeah, and he, and he says, "I must say, this business of bantering is not a duty I feel I can discharge with enthusiasm." <laughs> uh, he has a try, has a few kind of absolutely uh, excruciating tries at, at banter, uh, and towards the end of the book, rather sadly, he decides maybe banter is the key to human warmth. Yeah, if he could just master it, it definitely is the key to the villa. I mean, the the whole they so the islanders spend sort of eight hours in outside the villa, sort of in the garden by the pool, they're forced to be there by the producers. And all they have to do uh, for the entirety of the day is pull each other for chats. This is Love Island lingo, that someone will approach another person and say, can we have a chat? Shall we go for a chat? But he's basically a decent guy. So, so just to remind people what happens in the book, it's set in 1956, after the war. Um, he goes to see Miss Kenton, who'd been a housekeeper in, his, um, in Darlington Hall where he'd worked. And the two of them had had this really painfully obvious love for each other they could, they could never particularly him bring themselves to admit or to, or, or to articulate so after he's seen her they both realise what might have been and they both end up in tears partly because that might have been but partly by the, by the fact that it's now too late he's also looking back on his time when he faithfully served Lord Darlington uh, in the 30s he insists that Lord Darlington wasn't a bad man but he does um, have to admit or, or at least half intuit or, or know really that he was a Nazi sympathiser which brings us to his partner, because <laughs> uh, I paired him with the Duchess of Windsor, Mrs. Simpson, Mrs. Wallace Simpson, another real life character. Wonderful. From Any Human Heart, long listed for the book in, 20, in 2002. She appears only briefly, but it's a book that intersects with real life a lot. The main character is Logan Mountstuart. The book consists of his diaries. And during the 40s, he's sent to keep an eye on the, on the Windsors because of their possible Nazi sympathies. And the British government wants to make sure he doesn't get into any trouble. So they uh, pack him off to be governor of Bermuda in the end. Um, and Logan Monster keeps an eye on her. 
And he says um, she does exude a strange sexual attraction, given that she's not physically beautiful or alluring. The ideal dominatrix, if one were that way inclined. Uh, Stevens is definitely that way inclined. <laughs> well, I don't know, because he's, he's got this fondness for... He's got this fondness for sort of sentimental romantic novels, but at the same time he does... He, want, wants, he, wants, a, he su- wants a master or a mistress, yeah, and though. He, and he wants it to gives suck, him purpose. Uh, he wants to suck up to the upper... I can't imagine... Yeah. I, mean, I imagine him sort of darting up and down, just getting a, whatever she wants, whatever drink she needs. Yeah, definitely. Whatever thing. Um, Her title would be a massive thing for him. So, that, so that's... Therefore, our, our couples are Sheba Hart and Charles Araby, Celia Tallis and Saeed from uh, Exit West, Marpessa from The Sellout, and Howard Belzee from um, On Beauty. And we've got Douglas Peterson and Agnes Bain, Mrs. Coulter and Henry VIII, Stevens and the Duchess of Windsor. And so we come to our first twist in our role as slightly demonic producers like the actual <laughs> real ones. <laughs> We're going to introduce two bombshells. Do you want to, first of all, introduce... The concept of the bombshell and yeah. then the, your actual bombshells. <clears throat> yeah, so the the bombshell in Love Island is a is a new entry, a new contestant who comes into the villa at a really unexpected time. Um, usually at this point, most of the islanders are sort of coupled off. Maybe one or two are single and hanging about. Usually there's some turmoil rolling through the villa when a bombshell comes in. And the bombshell has to... Uh, well, pick someone to couple up with, which essentially usually means they have to break a couple up. So my bombshells are going to be G from John Burgess G, who is famously, uh, well, based on a kind of Don Juan Casanova type figure. And um, this is this is an extract from from just about the middle of G. And this is why I think G would make a great bombshell. G's come to a party and he's kind of looking around. He's trying to settle on someone to to pick up, basically. And this is how it goes. So she notices G gazing at her. Most men, when they stare at an unknown woman who attracts them, have already begun in their imagination the process of seducing and undressing her. They already see her in certain positions with certain expressions on her face. They are already beginning to dream about her. And so when she intercepts their look, one of two things happens. Either they continue to stare at her shamelessly because her real existence does not disturb their dream, or else she will read a flicker of shame in their eyes expressed as a momentary hesitation to which she will be obliged to either respond encouragingly or discouragingly. He stares at her without shame or insolence. In his imagination, he has not laid a finger upon her. His purpose is to present himself as he is. Everything else can follow. It is as though he imagines himself naked before her, and she is aware of this. She recognises that the man looking at her is utterly confident, that he has no need to hide anything, no need of any deception or covering. How is she to respond to such imprudence? This time the choice is not between encouragement or discouragement. If she lowers her eyes or looks away, it'll be tantamount to admitting that she has appreciated his temerity. To turn away will be to admit that she has seen him as he is. She will guard herself. She will preserve the memory of his magnificent imprudence. So I can just picture all the ladies not wanting to be seduced by G and G just being utterly cool, just like... Having them roll over I mean, this one, is one by one. This is one of the advantages we've got is that our bombshells are sort of bombshell-y. Whereas, I mean, the bombshells in um, 
Love Ireland are quite uh, are bombshells, but so is everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's always a bit odd. And I think it, he, he would... seems quite ruthless sexually because I, I, yeah. I, I, he, he seemed to be quite pleased when the First World War broke out because it would create a load of widows, which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> increases sec- you know the avail- sexually available women. So okay, so he comes in as a proper bombshell, and have you got a bombshell woman? Yeah, I do. It's Marianne from Normal People, ah. and um, now I'm going to preface this by saying that I love Normal People. It got me through a heartbreak a few years ago. I really do love that book. However, most of the plot of that book is Marianne being extremely unremarkable in every single way and men just falling at her feet. If you want a discussion on wither Marxism, she's the girl for you, <laughs> surely. Um, so I think Marianne, Marianne would come in. Marianne, there's the a whole kind of bit uh, in the first third of the novel where, you know, there's the summer she turns pretty, basically. She loses a load of weight. She starts applying eyeliner. She learns how to dress. She cuts her hair a bit. And, you know, suddenly she's, it, it's like a transformation. So I think she'd be a really attractive prospect she's got, that's for our boys. We possibly should bear in mind that, well, she's quite masochistic, isn't she? Like, she is, She likes yeah. to be sort of hit and abused during sex. Yeah, I think she recognises by the end of the book that's not a great impulse. No. I'm kind of picturing a, a Marianne who's sort of a, a bit reformed okay. from all that. The girls are now going to choose the ones... We're in couples. Do they want to change either to a bombshell or to someone else from a different couple? And Joe is going to make the decision on behalf of the all the girls. Right. Well, I should explain that uh, Joe has not um, taken this lightly. Where there's been a pause there for a few minutes while <laughs> the girls have chosen, and I think we do have the girls. Uh, not we only have the, the girls chosen, then we're going to dump two couples, or you're going to dump two couples. So let's hear. Let's hear. Who have the girls gone for? So traditionally. Bombshells get first pick. Okay. And Marianne is the female bombshell. Yep. So I think Marianne, I think Howard and Henry VIII are going to have gone after Marianne. Henry, because his head turns with every woman he sees. The man had six wives. And um, and I, ju- I just think any bombshell that came in, he would immediately run towards. So he would try and chat Marion up for a bit, but I don't think she would be very impressed. I think Howard would be particularly impressed by Marianne. Howard in On Beauty does have an affair. And I think Marianne is right up his alley. She's a university student. She's exactly the kind of person he'd come across over the course of the novel. With one of his students. With one of his students. So, uh, so similar, so similar politics. So she, so she, so she chooses yeah, Howard. I think she would choose Howard okay. and live to regret it. And then from there, I am going to say that Sheba Hart would be up next. Yeah. And I think Sheba would be absolutely swept away by G. I think he's perfect for her sort of, you know, romantic ideal of life. So a lot of um, yeah. Well, I, mean, I suppose if a fifteen-year-old boy showing her a bit of attention is good enough. Exactly. To turn ahead, then uh, like. You know, the world's biggest Casanova will certainly do the trick. <laughs> so I feel like Sheba does have this sort of, um, she doesn't have a hold on reality. I feel like she would see G. G chats up, you know, all the girls in the villa, but he, she would really think, she would really take it seriously. She would think that obviously she's meant for him. I'm going to have Agnes choose Said. Mm, that's a curious one. Why, why, why so? I think, so we were talking about Saeed's sort of conservatism and Celia kind of um, turning it about in her head. I think ultimately Cecilia would kind of want a more exciting lifestyle. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, so, I see what you mean. So Agnes has had an exciting lifestyle. She's yeah, had, she's had think, enough of exciting lifestyles. I think I think Agnes Agnes would recognise a, a really good influence in Said. Um, you know the the kind of impulse to do good. Like there's this breathtaking passage in in Exit West, um, where Said um, prays fundamentally as a gesture of love for what had gone and what would go, and could be loved in no other way. When he prayed, he touched his parents who could not otherwise be touched. And he touched a feeling that we are all children who lose our parents, all of us, every man and woman and girl and boy. And we too will all be lost by those who come after us and love us. And this loss unites humanity, unites every human being, the temporary nature of our beingness and our shared sorrow, the heartache we each carry, and yet too often refuse to acknowledge in one another. And out of this, Saeed felt it might be possible in the face of death to believe in humanity's potential for building a better world. So he prayed as a lament, as a consolation and as a hope. And I think Agnes, that, that capacity he has for hope, but also for forgiveness yeah, and moving no, no, on. I can see that. Agnes, Agnes does, I mean... She, he, she he, needs he, it. Yeah, yeah, she needs it. She's not very good at knowing yeah. what she needs, but, but don't forget we're, jo we're joining her in the sober time yeah <laughs> I think the Duchess of Windsor is going to stick with Stevens yeah. I think she's being well catered to uh, another gin and tonic darling yeah, yeah, yeah. no okay. no yeah. issues yeah. there and I'm going to have Mrs Coulter uh, stick with um, Henry VIII oh, the theological debates are heating up are they in there? they are no, yeah, I think yeah. I think they're they're sort of um, at the moment they're still sort of teasing each other out okay. she's none too happy that Henry's gone after Marianne but I have this uh, kind of fantasy of Henry going back to her and saying well you're obviously the superior woman that leaves Cecilia Charles Araby Marpessa and Douglas who yeah. I am going to dump what? From the eye, I'm going to. Come I'm on, going Douglas. to. I'm going to kick them out. I think okay. Douglas. Douglas probably a bit too nice. But <laughs> well, they're going to run out of AA batteries. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. I think. Uh, Charles. Yeah, no, 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 sorry, when they all remote, it's not working. But anyway, go. Charles Araby. He's. He's just. Not. I mean. I think, well, basically, in my mind, how it would go is that Celia would sort of, she would choose Charles Araby because I think they probably have a lot of posh chat together, but it's a friendship couple. Friendship couples have no interest to us, are they? No interest, no, they're dumped. Okay, no, no, and I think on. Marpessa would be last to choose and she'd be left with Douglas, who is just too sweet for oh, her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Far too sweet for her. And I just don't think they're compatible at all. So, I, I, dumped. A, yeah, fair enough. I, I, to be honest, face with Marpessa, Douglas might... might might fancy just getting the hell off the island. Yeah, I think she, exactly. would, she would be too much for She him. would eat him alive. Okay, so we now have, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, we have our, our, our final five couples at the moment. Sheba and G, Duchess of Windsor and Stephen still together, Marianne and Howard, Agnes Bain and Said, and Mrs. Coulter and Henry VIII still hanging on in there. So now we're going to set them the first challenge we in are. a Love Island style. <laughs> he said, pretending he knows what the hell's going on. <laughs> first challenge is the baby challenge uh, towards the end of the show we're going to move this forward slightly yeah. uh, towards the end of the islanders time in the villa they awake to the sound of mechanical babies and they go into a room and there are all these little plastic children arranged in cots for them and they have to take care of them for a day and so we are going to give a fake plastic child yeah. to each of our remaining couples okay. and see how they fare. Okay. <laughs> and at the end of that, we're going to dump the least 
parental successful couple. Yes, we uh, are. Okay. And that is... Uh, so she- how would how would Sheba and G do as parents? I think they'd be awful. Yeah, sort of. In, uh, and G, I, I can't imagine being the most paternal. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, G does have a bit of an evolution as he goes through the novel, but I'm really evolution imagining Evolution into him- loving fatherhood. No, not quite. Okay. Um, I mean, he acquires some morals, but I'm sort of imagining him midway through the book when he's still floundering around Europe before he's, you know, gotten a wider awareness about human consciousness and war. And so I would say G shows absolutely no interest in in this baby. Sheba is a teacher and she does have children of her own. So I think she, she wouldn't mind motherhood so much, but it's not why she came to the villa. Do we think that anybody dodgier than them as parents? Um, I think Marianne and Howard had, had, they'd be okay. They'd be okay. I Very mean, I, I, I feel slightly sorry for the kid. He'd have to be <laughs> <laughs> learning his sort of Shakespeare at the age of three or something, wouldn't he? Yeah. But yeah, okay. But, but, but Communist Manifesto read to them yeah. at the age of like four months. Duchess of Windsor and Stevens again. Not ideal. Oh, they'd have a nanny. They yes, would they absolutely, would, yeah. they would okay. outsource their that's parenting 100%. So... But do you know what? I think that's probably a very um, self-aware thing for them to do. Agnes, Agnes Bain and Said, I think they'd, they'd both be loving it. Yeah, they? well, they, they, they I mean, be Agnes isn't the best, isn't the best mother for no, most that, of that, 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 No, no, she, no that, 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 that would be true. But uh, don't forget, this is still sober Agnes as far as we know. She has okay. yet to be at, she we're clinging to, to she's, that she's, yet, she's yet to be at the old Prosecco. And uh, Mrs. Colton Henry VIII, well, as far as I can see, that would depend... Quite largely on whether it was a boy or a girl. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, do we still think that, the, that that child might still be better off than under Sheba and G? Well, yeah, because he's a prince, basically. So it's, so it's down it's down to Sheba and G versus Mrs. Coulter and Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I was the producers of the actual show, I, I suspect they'd be more interested interested in keeping Mrs. Coulter and Henry VIII going. But 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 you know, <sighs> you you're so right, James. You really are. You've got the producer's instinct. Okay, Sheba and G are gone. They've been dumped from the island. Okay. Well, as, it, as, as, the, as the excitement mounts, <laughs> with, with four couples left, Duchess of Windsor and Stevens, Marianne and Howard, Agnes Bain and Steed, and Mrs. Colton in the eighth, I'm going to throw my two bombshells. Oh, I'm so excited and for this. they are... My first bombshell, uh, definite bombshell, I think. Uh, Patrick Melrose from Mother's Milk uh, by uh, Edward St. Auburn, shortlisted for the booker in um, 2006. Uh, sec- and, and Patrick Melrose, uh, sexy enough to have been played on screen by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, fourth novel in a series about his life, his very kind of troubled life. We join him in this when he's, he's, he's married and he's got two children, but he's very sexually frustrated because his wife has basically retreated into motherhood. Mm. And they've become what he refers to as parental bureaucrats. Mm. So anyway, so he so in he comes. Uh, likes a drink though, might be significant. Agnes oh. Bainey, or anyway, we'll see. And then my other, this is a real Love Island twist, because my other uh, bombshell is none other than Miss Kenton, Stephen's long lost love. Oh, you've really gone down. I really have. I've the gone producer from, route here. I really, really have. So anyway, she, she, she in fact has married since um, uh, she knew Mister Stevens, but it's not a very happy marriage. She keeps leaving her husband. But she basically feels she's stuck with it. Um, this is what she um, says to him towards the end. Of, you know, one of the many sad parts of the book to Mr. Stevens. You get to thinking about a different life, a better life you might have had. For instance, I get to thinking about a life I might have had with you, Mr. Stevens. And I suppose that's when I get angry over some trivial little thing and leave. But each time I do so, I realize before long my rightful place with my husband 
After all, there's no turning back the clock now. Except oh. is there? Oh. As in she comes as the bombshell with the men now to choose. Oh, means that I get God. to choose, which means that we again pretend that it takes me a second while I scribble <laughs> loads and loads of possibilities on bits of paper. So, bits of paper, please. <laughs> So Patrick, our um, bombshell, gets first choice, and naturally he goes for, although possibly um, with dodgy consequences, he's gone for Agnes Bain. So how is he going to get the connection? They both have substance abuse issues, but yeah. is this something that they've confided in each yes, other about? Yes, they have. About? They've had all so, of their chats. Okay. Let, let's imagine. He's pulled her for a chat. Yeah, and no, he's... She's, she's nice, and they've, they've got shared... Well, absolutely shared issues. They've both, both been alcoholics or both, yeah. so, or both are alcoholics. So so maybe it went, it went something like, you know, Patrick says, I used to be a bit of a bad boy, but I'm nice now. And Agnes goes, tell me more. Yeah. And it all comes out. Yeah, and you think you're bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, isn't, isn't Agnes slightly scornful of people's, like, rubbish uh, confessions at she AA? She is, yeah. <laughs> well, that's all you've done. Uh, anyway, so... so um, to be fair, pa- pa- Patrick's yeah, yeah. fucking awful. <laughs> Patrick's pretty out there. So, uh, so those two go together because of their shared history and interest in what that history has done to them. And also, I suspect, underneath it all, maybe a bit of enabling going on that they realise that they'd actually have quite a good time together if they could just steal all the Prosecco. Yeah. Anyway, that's my choice. Patrick and Agnes Bain. Uh, Henry VIII is going to stick with Mrs Coulter, slightly to her um, annoyance. Dismay. Yeah, dismay, <laughs> exactly, but but he's, he's choosing. Uh, Howard uh, sticks with Marianne, again, slightly to her dismay, but... Um, he, at young students, he likes, <laughs> as we've established. I think this and is the most th- problematic episode we're going to put out. We've got the big moment, which is, is Stevens going to pluck up the courage to dump the Duchess of Windsor? This would be an absolute defining moment in his life, actually. It really would. Would he, would he dump the Duchess of Windsor, posh, Nazi-sympathising toff? Yeah. And if finally, <laughs> after all these years, declare himself to Miss Kenton, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to say the answer is yes. He's doing it. He's gone for it. He's actually managed to escape her clutches. He's all last gin and tonic, obviously. He's not going to, and he's very apologetic. But off he goes, and he's with Miss Kenton at last. This is fan fiction on uh, the, the highest level, this, uh, It's one of the great moments in uh, podcasting. There we go. And um, but it's only bad news for Saeed, who's now left with the Duchess of Windsor. Uh, oh. And I think, I mean... Uh, Famously racist. Famously racist. So she, I think she would find him a little bit too brown. So, know, I, so I think that the, the the couples I'm going to dump at this stage are Saeed and the Duchess of Windsor, because she, she well, I don't think they've got anything in common. They're just lumped together, and yeah. both of them would be quite happy to be out of it. And also I'm going to um, dump Howard and Marianne, because I think she, again, would want to get back to... Funnel? Uh, yeah, or just, yeah. Or just like, like <laughs> yeah, just, get, just get away from. You know, I think in the end, I think Howard would, yes, be too too much for. Her, I think, or maybe yeah. even too attentive. And sometimes Connell's too attentive to her, isn't she? Oh, isn't like you said, just and 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 and, 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 she, and she certainly could do better physically. I think. Yeah. So we now have our big, uh, our last three to face one final challenge: Patrick uh, Melrose and Agnes Bain. Uh, cracking night out, but. I'd leave, I'd leave by 11 if I was with them. Uh, Henry VIII and Mrs. Coulter still hanging on in there. I think she probably wants to get the hell out, but who knows? And then, as I say, this triumph of, final triumph of love, Stevens and Miss Kenton. Uh, okay, so now we have one last challenge, which is, Joe. 
the headline challenge. And how does this work now? So the islanders are completely cut off from the quote unquote real world yeah. during that. I'm now speaking about the actual TV show. Yeah, okay. And, and for our purposes, I think they <clears throat> the same would happen. Know, yeah, they only know about each other what each other's told them. Yeah, in the real love island, these people have absolutely no idea what's going on in the real world. The islanders don't have phones. They don't have um, access to the internet. They don't know what's being said about them. They also have no idea about each other's personal histories. All they know about each other really is what the other has decided to tell them. And so the headline challenge introduces a slice of the real world back into the villa. Um, Various headlines about contestants uh, pasts or you know what the public think of them are okay. read out yep. and this inevitably causes it, it's never positive it never okay. can be I mean all news is bad news can we, it causes some tension and so can we apply that now to, to our three couples here yes so I think well it's very difficult with them Patrick and Agnes because they've already told each other that they yes, have right. substance abuse yeah or if problems. they haven't they might just think yay Cracky, <laughs> <laughs> once we get off this island, we're going to have one of the great nights out. Henry, Henry VIII and Mrs. Colt, I think you had a rather ingenious, ingenious yes, idea for this. Uh, so, my theory for this is that Mrs. Coulter would absolutely not trust whatever the producers were handing to her. I think she would have snuck an alethiometer, which is a kind of um, truth telling device from the His Dark Materials trilogy. Yeah into the villa and she would ask it at this point she would ask it questions about what was true or not and I think she would find out that Henry VIII had designs on her life that he's already mm-hmm. plotting ahead is that, to... I, I can't quite remember even though it was only last week and is, is this instrument clever enough to sort of tell what, what, might, what might happen in the future I think it was wasn't it well witches give prophecies yeah. in, in the amber spyglass so maybe I, I don't know I think we're stri- I don't think the producers would let a witch fly into the villa to give Miss Coulter. No, no. But I think Miss Coulter point. is smart enough to <laughs> go to a balcony or a terrace and do it without them realising. So she gets to know about Henry's future as well as his past. Mm. She's got a very unfair advantage oh, there. No, I, found it. I didn't realise this. And I only found this yesterday. The last five wives were, la- were in the last 15 years of his life. Yeah. Anyway, that's by the by. Do you know, I have a feeling Miss Coulter would murder Henry in okay. the middle of the night in cold blood. She'd find this out and she'd go, absolutely not. And since she's got an heir to the throne... You know, she. I think she's got what she wanted out that's of him. That's a brilliant twist. Yeah, that's right. I, I think Mrs. Coulter kills Henry VIII right. after well, the well, headline well, challenge. As they, as they say in the Simpsons, <laughs> I think it's Marge's sister's say to her about Homer, you know, once you've planted the seed, you just throw away the packet. <laughs> so, okay, so... Um, so Henry's dead. Henry's <laughs> dead, so, so they're out. Okay. Which never... No, they're not out. Miss Coulter is still there. Okay. Um, I think she's, she's standing solo. Um... Or maybe she shouldn't kill him. No, I think she, I think I know. I think she's killed him. Yeah, and um, you know, it, which um, is fine. Except she's left. <laughs> it's her, fine. Which is except that she's left. She's failed to think. She's left herself single, and so therefore she, she is dumped she's from dumped, the island. She's dumped from the island, and we have our finalists. And listen, we we can argue about who's going to win, but I think I think we 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 are the way it's working now. As I say. With Henry VIII dead and Miss Coulter, Miss Coulter single. That's so the I end think, of them. So we, yeah, we so Miss Coulter may have cut herself off at the knees there a little bit because I, I have this sense that she she may have manipulated the public vote. But, you know, the thing about Love Island is that the, the final vote is always down to the public. So we have to put ourselves into the minds of the British nation now. Would the, the thing about Love Island is that everyone loves the chaos. Everyone loves the drama, the juice, the gossip. And so 
you have Stevens and Mrs. Kenton, who are the sort of ideal love story, you know, lost each other along the way and then reignited their love for each other. But then you have TV gold in the form of Patrick and Agnes, who by this point have probably found the secchi. They've broken into the producer's say, stash. Do, do, do gonna, They're throwing gonna, parties. You're going to bottle the champagne when you win, in which case they'd, <laughs> exactly. never, they'd never be seen again. And they'd get 50 grand at the end of all of this. Imagine the party they'd throw. So now, James, you, you really have to imagine yourself into the heart of the British public here. Uh, I, I, I mean, as you know, Joe, we follow each other, but, and, but this isn't exactly, this isn't a compliment, which is, you might be closer to the normal Love Island than I am. You might, I mean, you've watched loads of series, like, and I, I just I, haven't. I am. I can't deny. So, 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 so why don't why don't why don't I know I know what you're going to do. You're, you're going to go for the Mr. Stevens and Miss Kenton are not going to win, are they? Oh, see, we're disagreeing now. This is brilliant. So we're at an impasse. I, I don't think we are really. I, I think I, w- I would go with your reading of Love Island, and I, 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 at least, at least, Stevens, they don't win, but at least they're together. That'll 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 gladden my heart enough. But you know, Love Island always has runners up, and yeah. famously, well, this is the thing. It's kind of a thing that um, people in second place are destined to break up, and people in third place are destined to stay together. For at least a couple of years. Mm. Unlike in but our we case, given have... the it's sad, sad demise. But anyway, yeah. okay. Yeah, but I no, suppose Miss Coulter came third, really. Yeah. Because, oh. Be well. right. No, no, I, I'll go with that. And, and also, to be, to be fair, um, yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, with all due respect to Stevens and, and, and Miss Kenton, they're not going to be in hot demand on chat shows, are they? No. <laughs> so, so. Uh, I, I can Patrick, see them I having spend... a kind of Channel 4, you know, 30 minute documentary made about them. <laughs> Yeah, where are they now? Uh, pot- exactly. Pottering around, <laughs> doing not very much. Okay, okay then, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. Our Love Island, Booker Island champions are Patrick Melrose and Agnes Bain. And if you disagree and you really do think that Stevens and Miss Kenton would win, write in and tell us. We should do a poll. We will do a poll. Yeah, let, let, let us know what you think. We've, for, for logistical reasons, we haven't been able to throw it open to the public for the final bit but um but we'd still love to hear what you you have to say and we will report back on it and see if we get roundly told off or let's hope <laughs> roundly <laughs> applauded uh well thank you very much that, that that brings us to the end of our experimental something different for the summer but i must say hugely enjoyable booker island thanks very much joe a lot of fun oh thank you so much for taking this seriously james i really didn't expect it to be this fun oh, great thank you <laughs> and that's all from us uh if you haven't already followed the show please do and remember to leave a rating you can find us at thebookerprizes.com and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and Substack at The Booker Prizes. So join us next week when we'll be discussing a novel loved by both Peter Carey and Stormzy, which is DBC Pierre's Vernon Godlittle. And obviously, please, please do tell us who you think should have won Booker Island. Yeah, uh, please, please do, we're very interested in that. <laughs> Until next time, bye. Goodbye. The Booker Prize podcast is hosted by Joe Hamia and me, James Walton. It's produced and edited by Benjamin Sutton, and the executive producer is John Davenport. It's a Daddy Supiot production for The Booker Prizes. <laughs> <laughs>